listeners, welcome to another episode of the Arcananth podcast. It's your host, Dr. Michael Rivera. This is the podcast all about human behavior, language, and communication, and how experts handle data to serve different communities in their needs. On this episode, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Lena Karvoskaya. Lena, are you there? Yes. Hello. How are you? Uh, hello. Good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's a bit rainy, but uh, you know, and I also know that uh, I don't need to tell you that it's rainy because you live actually quite nearby. Yes, yes. We are all, like our areas are almost adjacent to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm in The Hague in the Netherlands. It's sort of like, um, you know, one of the main cities in the Netherlands where uh, it's famous, of course, for having a lot of courts and tribunals that are, um, you know, handling international situations. Where are you and how close are you to The Hague? Well, I am in Delft and uh, Delft, I, yeah, uh, I think some parts of The Hague are closer to the center of Delft than some parts of Delft, like it's, it's very close to each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, Delft is a tiny city and it, like, and if you look at the map, it looks like a suburb of The Hague, but Delft mm-hmm. is very proud that they had a wall. They were like proper city like while The Hague. Didn't oh. have one, so there mm-hmm. is this uh, like rivalry, like <laughs> <laughs> competition. What are some of the things that make Delft special, or has been has changed in the last few years? Well, so Delft is a very like Delft is a small historical city, but it has a very um, lively, vibrant uh, university. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a technical university, uh, but it also has uh, some. But some philosophy and some humanities distributed across mm-hmm. departments. Also, very strong architectural faculty and design faculty. And I think that uh, like having these uh, young students around really defines the life of Delft a lot. I don't know. I don't think it's recent, but I think, but it's been. It's definitely something that's that was. Uh, making this old city very lively uh, and do you do you live close to um i mean in normal circumstances when we can go outside <laughs> do you live very close to where you work or where you're based so i work at the free university of amsterdam and uh and that, that that's a 40 minute uh, train uh, right from delft i'm a community manager for uh, <laughs> research data management Hmm. So uh, it sounds uh, it's it's a very long job title and it's complicated. So I will explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hired by the library, by the university library, and I am um, hired to build a community, basically to improve the relations between uh, the library mm-hmm. and the users of the library, and the area for which I have to like improve these relations or build these relations is um, uh, research data. <laughs> and it's not like when, you, when I say data, it's not the specifically data science, artificial intelligence and algorithms. It's, uh, it's much more simple. It's any kind of observations right. that mm-hmm. researchers make. What would be uh, some examples of you know, these observations? Well, a typical example uh, uh, as a as a researcher, you might want to collect some interviews. Hmm. So you you make this 
collection. So you have this uh, raw data recordings that you made. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you process the recordings. You make transcriptions. This is also data. Then you do some analysis based on the on this process data. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might. Um, yeah, you might apply some statistics to it depending on uh, what kind of analysis you do. Mm-hmm. This is also data. Ideally, you document all this in some way. And if you work with people, ideally, you ask for their consent to mm-hmm. share their stories with you. So they, you also have this administrative data around your project. Mm-hmm. When it comes to uh, trying to, you know, help the relationships and the working relationships between the libraries and the users of libraries. Are you working with, you know, are you and your colleagues working with a a number of them at the same time and it's just sort of like an ongoing relationship or is it that you are working with them for a certain amount of time and then you sort of um, (laughs) like set them off and, you know, you, you try to um, set up some, some systems or you try to help them out for just a while and then they can, they can do it by themselves. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that's really, that's, uh, that's really some, something I'm trying to um, figure out because mm-hmm. before I came, of course, uh, there were many things going on, but I, I think every service provider had uh, her or his own way of doing this. Right. And um, it all—it's it, not that it all fell together in a—it could be described as one uh, coherent system. So, for example, there is one person who gives a certain course, and um, like uh, this course, the, usually people take this course only once during their their PhD, maybe in the first year, and then mm-hmm. after they took this course, their relation basically stops. There is um, no follow up, and it's not quite clear how people could have stayed in touch with us even if they would would have wanted while there are maybe some other groups who who organize some events and there we have um, a more stable ongoing contact so it, mm-hmm. i think this is one of the main challenges of this work to figure out how this whole system works and to improve some parts right of it. do you usually uh, reach out to users and you know, research communities yourself actively, or are you and your colleagues receiving emails from the research community uh, asking for your help? No, I, I actively try to reach out myself. So, uh, and uh, if if we receive emails, I also try to follow up and to see, like, to learn more about this person because this is quite a this is quite a big step. If somebody came as far as writing. An email. This uh, this person is probably very interesting to talk to. Right. Because if you if you think about this engagements process, already signing up for some newsletter requires some action. So yeah. writing an email is a lot of effort. Somebody really wanted that. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. When it comes to uh, trying to help them, do you have a, an example maybe of like a recent? Um, relationship that you've built with uh, someone, a user, and what is involved day to day with trying to, you know, increase the community connections that people have um, and, and how they utilize libraries. There, there is a local initiative at the Free University of Amsterdam, a group of uh, 
PhD students uh, started this uh, reproducibility meetings. They meet once in a month and they discuss uh, papers about research reproducibility and like in general um, critical studies of the research process. And uh, this is a certain type of event. It was uh, started and then uh, copied by different organizations. Uh, So I think the idea was that they drink tea when they discuss uh, oh, the papers. Now I get it. Uh, that's right. It's uh, reproducibility. <laughs> yes. They have a teacup as a symbol. So the library reached out to them and uh, asked, offered them to like to support their meetings. We were, were also looking at how we could help them to get more audience and like get a more sustainable presence at the university. So these kinds of initiatives are something we we are trying to support and see if we can if we can offer something that would be interesting given their interest in research methods and in data collection and all these things that are mm-hmm. also relevant for us. Yeah. When you're in that process of doing that kind of work, can you describe a little bit about what you're physically doing, like what it involves to try and helping these people? I don't think we have really a playbook where we see, oh, there is a community and we we already know what to do because uh, in any kind of this activity, the basic basic step would be really to to get to know the people and try to understand what their needs are and what uh, and what they have to offer to other people, right? Because once you know that, you can make connections. Like you are working with medical data, but you are interested in people who know something about computer science and can... So if I know another group that would be interested in doing something with medical mm-hmm. data, I could try to bring you two together. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that uh, there are any major challenges that, that you face while you're doing this? Like what are some of the, the sort of trickier aspects of drawing these connections between groups yes there, there are there are definitely many challenges here because um, we, we, are, we don't have that many people yeah so getting to know everyone just uh, requires a lot of a lot of effort and not not like it's also it, also it's not the case that people are in clear groups it's it's yeah. very nice if there is this group come approaching you or like that, that there is this group that you can approach like uh, um, this reading group that it has a certain structure so you know who organized it but you don't know who exactly is doing what unless you met a couple of people and then you yourself uh, start seeing the connections so mm-hmm. like, even if you look at the smaller faculty like social sciences it, it will actually consist of many groups doing quite different things mm-hmm. which you don't see from from just this bird's eye view of a faculty if you spend some time around you might get to know some people who who have a better understanding of how their relations are but uh, you really need either to invest your own time mm-hmm. or to find other networkers yeah how do you know that you have done a good job like how what is the what is the result or what does the outcome usually look like how do you know that maybe a project or um you know connections have been made and finished in the ideal scenario people start talking to each other without 
constant mediation between you uh, from coming from you if you manage to connect this to people and they they stay in touch mm-hmm. without you pulling them back together all the time that's that's i guess the definition of success right yeah it's it's tough and uh it it, it doesn't always work this way mm-hmm Why do you think it doesn't work sometimes? I mean, I, I guess the way... Um, <laughs> that's a beautiful question. I, I mean, I, I think it's... Um, uh, it, it takes a lot of effort to maintain the connections we have, right? And uh, it's very um, it's very natural for us to stick to those that are, that, that are important at the moment, that are mm-hmm. re- rewarding, that like, something that that really works for you, works for you now. Yeah. There are many aspects to it, right? It can be emotional. It can be um, yeah, that you're learning something there. It also depends what you like mm-hmm. to do. So I think that's, that, that's actually the, the challenge of community building that you're trying to create a structure where people constantly get some value out, right? So that mm-hmm. people know that if they ask a question, there will be some answer or that somebody uh, will ask them and highlight and this will be a chance to highlight how knowledgeable they are right so i think yeah it's a natural tendency that if nothing is happening for a while people start to lean out a bit and yeah of course this is also happening on the personal level if mm-hmm. if we haven't been talking for a month the chances are that next month months we also want to talk and Right. It, goes. it sounds really like a dynamic, yes. you know, it sounds really like a, it constantly changes what you might be, you know, involved with or what, what you might be talking about week to week. It just depends on, you know, what's going on and what people's data needs are and, you know, the, the things that they're trying to do basically with different people. Absolutely. And you actually see it now with, you know, for the, um, for example, with the COVID-19, the research interests, there are so many grants out there that people can apply for, mm-hmm. like either to study the COVID-19 itself or to study the impact it has on society, for example. So may- maybe some topics that would have been relevant mm-hmm. five months ago are completely out of picture now only because there is so much focus on this new yeah. development. I know that uh, previously you had, um, you know, attained some qualifications and degrees and, you know, you finished a PhD as well. How do you think that you're using any of those skills that you had before in your day-to-day work right now? Are any Is there any sort of aspect of what you had learned or what you were trained in that now comes in very handy when you're when you're community building so i'm uh, i'm trained as a theoretical linguist mm-hmm. indirectly of course it, my knowledge of languages and my love for languages is always there mm-hmm. and helps me in in various things that i do but i think for community management i really enjoy thinking about the definitions right when people start saying like but do you call it a community or is it just a network or is it an audience then the linguist in me starts uh, (laughs) (laughs) jumping around and uh, (laughs) and celebrating Um, I like the theoretical aspect of it thinking on a meta level mm, Mm -hmm. what what does this group look like Uh, like who are the ambassadors and uh, what is the life cycle of such a community and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's uh, yeah I think 
this is maybe the academic, uh, <laughs> yeah. like more the academic part of it than just the linguist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was your, what would, what would you say are like some of the main takeaways that you had <clears throat> when you finished your PhD, by the way? So my, my, my PhD, <laughs> I studied uh, how relations of possession are expressed in different languages. This is a very general term to describe a relation between you and some object. For example, you can say, my hand, this is possession. The hand is something you possess. Mm. You can also say, my cup. Uh, you use exactly the same words. My, well, you use the same word, my, and you use the word cup. There mm. is a relation between you and the cup, and this relation is different than the relation between you and your hand, of course, because, well, you can give your cup to me, it will become my cup but if you give me your hand then uh, it might it might be something something some kind of a different object <laughs> right <laughs> right so and um so i i looked at the languages that use um uh multiple um, that systematically use multiple constructions to express uh, to express these relations mm-hmm. so in, in english it's always a word my, but you could think of another language that would uh, that would have two forms. Mm-hmm. In linguistics, uh, this is a very well known phenomenon. We call we talk about alienable and inalienable possession. I studied um, a number of languages that were described as having this split between alienable and inalienable, and I tried to see what is actually happening there. So it, yeah, so. Uh, alienable means something you can alienate, so take away. Mm. And inalienable means something that you can't. Oh, I see. Yeah. So the the so the hand would be a typical example. My hand would be a typical example of inalienable. Whereas my cup or my car would be something alienable. Mm-hmm. For example, kinship terms like uh, parents, my my mother or my sister would also be a very typical example of. Uh, inalienable. Right. What we know is that there are many languages that have a small number of words, like usually like some body parts, uh, some kinship terms like mother, father, mm-hmm. and um, some important objects like knives uh, or boards, depending on where people live and what they do. Mm-hmm. That 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 uh, these words are. Like these words often form this class of inalienable things. Right. What I tried to show is that there is that this is a very general pattern. That if there is a, if like basically if you have a choice between something very specific and something underspecified, by uh, choosing the underspecified thing, you show that the specific one does not hold. So if we, if we see, uh, if, if we watch some ducks swimming in the water, and then I say, uh, Michael, have you seen this bird on the left? Mm-hmm. You infer that this is not a duck. Yeah. So that this is what I tried to show, that if I, uh, that if I would tell you this is uh, my hand in the language that also has my you will probably interpret this hand as not being my body part, but right. yeah, some hand in my possession. Mm-hmm. Did you have to go out anywhere like to do that? Or is it research that you do online? 
how do you how do you do that kind of research? Well, ideally, you should go out and uh, do field work on this because uh, I, that's 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 one of the challenges that I well that uh, that that was one of the biggest challenges for me. I yeah, so maybe a bit of an explanation is needed here. In theoretical linguistics, people are um, working on this meta level questions. Uh, yeah, for example, how, what is a different pattern uh, between different uh, expressions and meanings and how, if there are very general principles that we can describe. Uh, this is what I did in my thesis. This was quite theoretical. But there are many other areas of linguistics which are not really concerned with uh, theoretical questions. and. Um, for example, people who do linguistic fieldwork very often just uh, uh, do language documentation. They mm -hmm. try to make very, very precise descriptions of uh, specific languages they work with. So they they are not really trying to get to abstract from these descriptions to very general principles. They are just working on this uh, specific language. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the, what I was doing. I, I was like bouncing between the two fields: the field of uh, theoretical linguistic and the field of um, language, um, yeah, language documentation and description. Mm -hmm. And I think they they are starting to come together now, but it's quite still a difficult match. I concentrated on solving like really the theoretical questions, the abstract mm -hmm. level questions, but I enjoyed the fieldwork part. I, I really enjoyed interacting with the speakers and trying to learn the language and understand how they think about themselves and their language. Uh, I, yeah, so I, I, I think I, I was always torn between the two. Mm -hmm. I, I always had a feeling that I'm not properly theoretical, but at the same time, I'm not, uh, I'm not focused enough on, on just data collection to be properly, the, uh, to be the mm -hmm. true <laughs> descriptive linguist. Yeah. Uh, I applied for an, for a position in the existing project and, uh, I was, the the pro the way the project was set up that I was working with the already existing descriptions of languages. Mm -hmm. When you are making a hypothesis and you are trying to to see if it works or not, of course you you want to test some things. You know you you want to mm -hmm. ask the speakers if I say this way uh, in in this in in this context, how would you interpret it? Uh, would it have this meaning that I am trying to achieve and this is of course impossible to test with a, with an already written book yeah and also very often uh, the the examples you need are just uh, missing there for example you would like to see what we call minimal pairs that you have this uh these two constructions uh, like my hand and mm -hmm. uh, my hand with exactly exactly the same words in different yeah. contexts but but maybe the author of the book didn't um, wasn't so much fascinated exactly by this question, right? So mm -hmm. it's um, yeah, you cannot expect to have uh, a lot of examples that are specifically relevant for your work. Mm -hmm. In a way, there was a lot of uh, making your best guess and hoping that somebody 
uh, will take it seriously enough to study for a given language. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, uh, now, nowadays as well, do you have a lot of connections still? Like, are you still kind of keeping up with theoretical uh, linguistics, uh, even though you're working in this role right now as a, as a data community manager, do you also stay up to date, I guess, in, in what's happening in theoretical linguistics? I, I try to, but it's, um, but much less that I would want. When I uh, started to work for the library, I was very optimistic that I that I will also use this opportunity to stay in touch with linguists. So I, I guess you do have to travel like for fieldwork, right? You have to actually go out. Uh, how, how often did you go out during your PhD? How many trips did you take? Yeah, so I during my PhD, I only took one trip because um, uh, at the beginning, I still did some work on the language I was studying during my uh, master's which was uh, uh, which uh, the, the language is called ishkashimi mm. it's uh, one of the pamir languages uh, it's an um, eastern iranian language uh, so it, it's in the same group as um, pashto for example and uh, and then the larger group would also ca- contain farsi mm-hmm. and then you would get to to all the european languages eventually right uh, it's a uh, it's spoken um, in uh, in Tajikistan and Afghanistan mm-hmm. by a very small group of people and mm-hmm. um, in the in the Palmer Mountains. Do you know if like your colleagues who are still working in theoretical linguistics have been affected? You know, now you know by by the recent you know pandemic, or the ongoing pandemic now in 2020. Do you think that that is really affecting the work that people can do? People are doing people doing field work are very much affected. From yeah, I think I, I, it's uh, I think it's really devastating for the field because you cannot travel. So that's um, mm-hmm. I for example I I was trying to. Well, I know what I was trying. I was asked to review a, a grant application, and I was very excited because uh, I saw that this was um, this was about Ishkashimi, the language uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was working on. So it's uh, it's beautiful to see that somebody else is planning to do something with this region. Yeah, and then. Months later, I received a notification that the the whole grant procedure will be stopped for a year mm. because they like they they cannot give people money to travel. Mm-hmm. So I I think that uh, like linguistic fieldwork and especially language documentation are yeah really fragile in this sense. They are mm. very dependent on personal contacts on researcher regularly going there and building up relations with people and um and so uh, is ishkashimi um you know i guess under threat i guess of being you know not spoken too much you already said that it's a spoken by a very small number of people yes yes Uh, i think um well so i um i started to work with uh endangered languages in uh in russia it was as a as a student i had a chance to to travel to some remote regions of Russia to work, for example, on Cat and Evanke. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I like I helped my supervisor there to do some documentation of these languages. Right. And I must say that uh, maybe Ishkashimi is in a better situation than some languages 
in Russia, although it has a smaller number of speakers. So I think uh, I think people often uh, trigger on the number of speakers as the factor, like as the factor indicating that the language is uh, endangered. And of course, uh, it, it, it does say a lot. But on the other hand, there are also many many other factors out there. So the language might be spoken by a large group in the, you know, where everyone is above 60. Right. So, while another language would be spoken by a small group where the youngest speaker is uh, a newborn <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Uh, and um, it, but has the situation, although it's a shame that it stops like physical field work, do you think that the move that everybody is making uh, online and the fact that you, you know, a lot of the time you're also, you know, kind of, um, you know, using online uh, data and online network, I guess, to uh, work in community management. Do you think that the situation where people are, you know, engaging, I guess, differently in the in the digital era is uh, making any new work for linguists to tackle? Uh, yes, there are definitely a lot of exciting developments there. And I think as, uh, yeah, as with many other processes that it has to go online now. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's massively improving in this uh, aspect. So already a few years ago, there were very active groups of speakers on Facebook, for example, that they, they were, it's not a written language, but they were writing uh, in their language and they were sharing some important texts mm -hmm. and photographs and just celebrating each other. Um, so there is more activity there. Uh, also, people... Yeah, people start calling each other more by using, yeah, just by using mm -hmm. the call function and the messengers. Problem is, of course, the very bad internet connection in certain areas. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in, I guess if the situation would have been the same with respect to technology, you would expect that this uh, field would, would start to blossom, you know, but we are really privileged that we, we can can just talk like this without uh, any interruptions mm -hmm. yeah what about in in your work like uh as a you know data community manager do you think that there are situations i guess that you're having to contend with like that you can probably be helpful to uh, certain users who again are uh, staying at home but you know still need to do still need to make connections i guess is there anything that has uh, changed about the work that you're doing now? Absolutely. I think there are, there are a lot of people who are staying home, feeling that something is uh, missing. Our work consists of many parts, and one of them is fun. You know, we just, uh, we just go somewhere and hang out because it's fun, because there is this uh, chemistry from other people that we like and that we... I don't know, share a drink and enjoy being together. And um, this aspect is clearly not there at the moment. And people people are struggling because on one on the one hand they they want to see their colleagues again. On the other hand, being on a Zoom call with uh, fifty people is not exactly the definition of fun. Yeah. So I think as a community manager, I have a huge role to play in organizing meaningful gatherings, like in, in creating these opportunities for people to, 
to have some fun, to like, you know, to have some insightful conversation, but also to, to enjoy just being together as much as the technology allows. Yeah. So unless, unless this is uh, done intentionally, it won't happen. And that's, and that's something that I think I, I, I should really, I should really do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, where, where can people uh, follow you online if they would like to, you know, are, are interested in the work that you're doing and, uh, want to maybe get in contact with you as well? Uh, so I, I have a Twitter account. It's uh, Lang Data. Uh, yeah, I would be very happy if, uh, people, uh, get in touch with me. Yeah. You, you, of course I'm happy to answer any emails, uh, Mm-hmm. Like I have my uh, free University of Amsterdam email account or my Gmail account is my name and dot my surname. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a hashtag for this episode so that listeners can use it to indicate they've heard all the way to the end? No, maybe they, uh, maybe data communities. Mm-hmm. Data communities. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to use the hashtag data communities, then do that. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit at Pod. If you want to help support this public anthropology and archaeology podcast, then go to patreon.com slash Pod and find out all the options for doing so. Any little bit helps, and I really appreciate it when people want to go to Patreon and become a patron. New episodes of the show will go out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And I am also going to put that on Arcanet.com along with some more information about Lena's work. Lena, was there anything that you didn't get to talk about that you wanted to talk about? Is there any closing messages that you have? It's very funny because somehow in my head, I, <laughs> I guess I was talking, talking much more about uh, uh, like fieldwork in general and different beautiful places that uh, you you have a chance that, that you as a linguist have a unique chance to see what, what do you find about uh, you know what do you find beautiful about working uh, in in linguistics and doing research in linguistics because I think that a lot of the time you can think of it as like oh you're just sort of just collecting data you're just sort of um, looking at words on a page. So what, what's the beauty there that people can find in linguistics? Yes, I think, uh, I think that people are very, um, well, the whole identity is in the language. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people, you learn so much about them just by, just through looking at data, because, you know, you, you can't separate the, data from the rest but yeah so it's uh (laughs) i guess that's 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 also one of the challenges because when you come to people and say i want to work with your language they they're usually very hopeful that you will um, say something about their culture you know that they they you will uh through the language you will help them to understand themselves in some in your way, help them to understand their roots because mm-hmm. you you know the language, so you know the language history. Maybe you can help them make this connection. And yeah, as a theoretical linguist studying some very specific topic, you probably won't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there, there is this discrepancy in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I, it was a lot of fun. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm. I, don't know, I wonder if you, if you often have it that people 
went into the direction where they didn't expect to end up. <laughs> oh, yeah, it happens. Of course it happens. There is no concrete message that I, I would like to yeah. say. I just, I'm just like... I guess I'm I'm excited to see what what would what would be the result. And, uh, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. You you are meta analyzing our conversation yes. <laughs> without having finished it. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody does uh, want to comment on this conversation at a meta level, go back to the beginning and uh, you know start taking notes. Uh, we're we're interested in what you think uh, on a meta level as well. So tweet at us. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> so listeners, um, that, I think that was a great note to uh, end on. Um, I want to thank you, Lena, for talking all about your work today. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Listeners, I'll have uh, another episode out for you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you.